Okay, we've, we've been doing as a church this September, looking at the whole thing of family and looking at the church as a family. Because the wonderful thing about the good news, the good news is really a person, that person is Jesus and what Jesus came to do, was he came to reconnect us with an amazing, loving, awesome Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus came. He came to earth to make a way that people who were far, who the Bible would describe as fallen short of the glory of God, who, 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 who needed to be reconciled and brought home. Jesus came to bring us home to the Father and to recognize, reconcile us and reconnect us to the Father so that we could come into an amazing household. But, the, but Jesus also came to reconcile us to one another. He came to create a family. And we've been talking about that, that Jesus had a greater ambition than just us connecting to God. He wanted us to connect with one another. And that's the most amazing thing about church. It's a church that's a family of the nations. It's, there's no other place on the planet like the church. Um, you, you can find lots of clubs and lots of institutions where people do things together, but I don't think there's another place on the planet like the church Amen. where we're all connected, because actually we've all got the same Heavenly Father, and it connects us in a, in a way, in a bond that's so amazing and so strong. And I want to talk this morning about what was going on in the early church, in those early disciples, that first church after Jesus had ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit had come. I want to talk about the early church. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 6. And the book of Acts, really, is a book of what the Holy Spirit continued to do. So if all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are what Jesus started... The book of Acts is really about the continuing work of God, now through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, through the community of the church. And so this is Acts chapter, chapter 6. And we're going to go for it a little bit by little bit, a bit like a Bible study really. This is a fun way that you can kind of read the Bible for yourself. And it says in Acts chapter 6, in verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. And so you read right into the book of Acts, you see there's an activity of God, that God was bringing the gospel <laughs> through the Spirit, through the church, to all the nations. And the numbers of men and women who were becoming followers of Jesus was increasing, and more and more people were being added to the local church. And then it says something very interesting. It says the Hellenistic Jews, so the Hellenistic Jews were Jewish people who were beginning to adopt the culture of Greece, okay, that's what that means. Um, it just says the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebrewic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so sometimes if you've been a Christian for very, very long, then you can often be in places where people say, we want to get back to the early church, which is good. We want to get back to the power, to the miracles, to the breakthroughs, to the presence, to the increase of the early church. And it's very encouraging when you look at the early church, there was also things that were messy and were not perfect. There was complaining in the early church. So actually part of getting back to the early church is to say, we want to get back to the messiness of what increase brings. We want to get in back to the place where actually there's such an increase of what God's doing, of people being added to Jesus, of people coming to faith, that is actually messy. So the early church was not a perfect community. 
it says there were some people who were being overlooked. Some people who were complaining against another group. The Hellenistic Jews were saying, you know, when all the food gets distributed around here, there's a whole group of people who are not getting any food. And so they begin to complain to one another, complain against the other group. An interesting thing about leadership is this. Leaders are essentially servants. That's what a leader is, a servant of everyone. That's the wonderful thing about the kingdom that Jesus is is creating and establishing. We often understand that leadership is that top dog who dominates everybody else and tells everybody else what to do and everybody else to run to their beck and call. Actually, Jesus talks about a kingdom that turns itself upside down and so leadership is at the base and leadership is actually enabling and empowering other people. So it's very natural for leaders that when we hear things are not working or maybe there's complaining or there's something that's not quite functioning the way we think it needs to, it's a natural response for leaders to plug the gap and a desire to serve and a desire to... Oh, right, I'm going to sort this out. And so the natural intuition of a leader would be there's complaining, these people are not getting the food that these people are getting. I'm going to sort it. I'm going to plug the gap. I'm going to do something to make sure that this thing is not happening again and the complaining is sorted. But what we read in the Bible is a response from the leadership that's counterintuitive and totally unexpected because we'd expect to read this that the Hellenistic Jews were complaining against the other Hebrew Jews and so the twelve decided we'll set up a rotor and we'll work out a distribution method so we will never have this problem again but it doesn't say that it says in verse 2 of chapter 6 so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said not We'll sort it, we're going to get a rotor with this, never happen again. They say this, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That's a radical thing, because we understand that leadership is servanthood. Leadership is an empowering of the people. Leadership is making things work and plugging gaps. But the apostles say it wouldn't be right for us to fill this gap. And I want to ask the question, why was it not right for them to plug the gap? And I know we've got the answer there, but there can be some things we might think. We might think, well, maybe they were just frustrated and they'd had enough of waiting on tables. And so they threw their arms in the air and said, it would not be right for us to do this. But I don't think that's their heart at all. It's not coming from frustration, nor do I believe it's coming from, we're above all that. That the really serious work is ministry of the word and prayer, and now we're above all that, we've left those things, those small things behind, so now we're above all that. And the reason I know they couldn't say they're above all that is because they had an amazing teacher in Jesus who was very God and very man, who knelt down and washed their feet. They'd already had an encounter with God the servant king who got himself messy in the ground, kneeling down, and Peter already had problems with that and said, you know, if you, I don't want you to wash me. If you're going to wash me, wash all of me. I don't want you to wash my feet. I don't want to see you humbled like that. So they've had a king around them who was an amazing leader 
who demonstrated leadership is servanthood. And so it wasn't frustration. It wasn't that we're above all that. It was something else. They were saying, look, if we do that, it will mean we'll have to neglect the ministry of God in order to wait on tables. And they were saying, look, we're a body. And Paul says later on, look, the church is a body. And if we do this bit, which is a really important thing, making sure that that everybody's getting equal shares of food, if we do that, something's going to stop functioning in the body in the way that God intended. For us to wait on tables, which is a really important thing, and we're going to see in a moment that the best of the best, the cream of the crop, do it. They're saying, if we do that, we're going to have to neglect something that's actually really vitally important. And we can't do that. Every part is important in the body. And no part is less important than another part. It's a wonderful thing that God has created. And I think what they're saying here is we understand that if our role is to be ears, we can't pretend we're feet right now. (laughs) That we can't walk on our ears. We're going to need to find some feet who can walk. We can't pretend that we're hands when maybe we're the mouth. And so there's an understanding that we need to turn over responsibility to qualified people. And they go on to say, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And we're going to be looking in the weeks to come, but that where it says men... That is clear in other places in the New Testament. There's men and women. There's mums and dads that, that are called to serve in the body of Christ and, and, uh, and lead and bring their gifting. So he said, we are going to turn responsibility over. We can't do what he has called us to do without you. Now, I know some of you guys maybe go to other churches and, and, or other places. Or maybe you don't go to church at all. I just want to excite you about the wonderful thing about what Jesus Christ does in his church. He is raising up a body. You know, sometimes people say, what on earth am I here for? (laughs) What on earth am I on planet earth for? What on earth is life about? Life is about being reconciled reconciled to an amazing father who's absolutely incredible. Whose love and mercy and compassion is enormous. Whose tenderness is amazing. Whose favour is beautiful. Where you can come and talk with him and literally you can feel the sweetness of his love on a daily basis. Of a God who says, son, daughter, you're in my family, I'm always with you and all that I have is yours. And it's the wonderful thing of being connected to a people who are called to have an incredible destiny on the planet. Now you might disagree with me here, and this is not coming from arrogance, but coming from a conviction from the Bible. The church, the people of God, 
Christians are the most important people on planet Earth. We are the hope of the nations. We are the hope of the nations. We're not just those who come to a meeting to sing songs about an amazing God, but we are hope carriers wherever we are. If you look in the earth and see any situation, any circumstance, yes, I believe it can be through politics. Yes, I believe it can be through gifted men and women who start charities and start amazing initiatives to bring justice and social justice and healing. I think all that's fantastic and it's common grace. It's the goodness of God on the earth. But the church, the people of God, we are the hope for the world. We're the hope for the world. We're carriers of hope. We have the most amazing dignity and calling. And, uh, and I want to excite you about that. You might say, what on earth am I on earth for? I know I was called to something greater. Get connected to God. Find out what he thinks about you. And discover what you are and who you are. And the contribution that you have to make to the local church and to the world. Christians, where we go to work, we're bringers of hope. When we go to work, we're bringers of wisdom. When we go to work, and in our families, in the, we're, we're those who have unlimited resources from God to bring solutions and thoughts and ideas where they don't exist. And I think in this passage, you just hear 12 people saying, we know who we are, and we know that we're not the whole. <laughs> we know that we're not the whole. And I think that's maybe the biggest thing that we need to see restored increasingly, that no gift is the whole. No gift is the whole. No gift is more important than any other gift. They're saying, friends, we can't do this without you. God is blessing us and we're growing and the disciples are increasing and God is about a great work. We're getting momentum and part of that momentum is the fact that we're praying and preaching the Bible. And part of that momentum is the body functioning really, really well. And so they say, we want people who are full of the spirit and wisdom that we might turn over this responsibility to them. People full of the spirit and wisdom. And we might say, Luke, write your book of Acts, early church disciples, what are you talking about? You're talking about distributing food. Why, why do you want people who are full of wisdom and full of the spirit... Surely anybody can do that. But there's a way that heaven does it. And there's a way that earth does it. You can distribute food with earthly resources of being stretched and exhausted. Well, the group of the Hellenistic Jews is growing, growing, growing. And we don't have enough food. And there can be frustration and a sense of, why don't the twelve do this? This is a rubbish job. I don't want to do it. But actually, he says, I want people who've got wisdom and full of the Spirit. Because everything in the kingdom is to be done with heaven's resources. Because there's something about hospitality and food and welcoming and connecting and serving the poor and meeting needs. That, yeah, people out there can do without wisdom and being full of the Spirit. But I tell you what, when it's done with wisdom and full of the Spirit, it, it tastes very different. Mm. It comes with love. I bet in their mind they're thinking, as you're given the food, bless them. Love them. Do them good. So everything is to be with heaven's resources. 
with the fruit of the Spirit and with wisdom. Plus, it's the most clear example, possibly, that there is no such thing as spiritual work and non-spiritual work. So sometimes we have an attitude, we think, I'll put my Sunday hat on because that's spiritual, but then I go to work, that's worldly. But actually, the apostles are saying, let everything be so saturated with heaven's wisdom and heaven's resources and the fruit of the Spirit, so that what you do has a gentleness to it and a peace about it and a faithfulness and a patience about it and a love about it, that you're so full of him that it just leaks out wherever you go. So he's saying, look, I don't want just, I don't want just to get a job done. I want it to be absolutely packed and saturated with heaven. I think this is the part of why Christianity is the most exciting, wonderful thing on the planet. Is because you become representatives of God. Not just doing something for God, but being full of the spirit and wisdom. So you do it expressing the very character of God. I think that, that when Jesus walked the earth, people had an encounter with the Father because he's very God and full of the Spirit. I think, believers, we can be representations, ambassadors of God. So when they meet us and how we love them, they get a taste of heaven, they get a taste of God. We can bring something of God. And I think the twelve wanted the Hellenistic Jews not to just be served food, but they wanted them to be served in such a way it's like heaven serving them, like the Father serving them. And Stephen was one of the people they chose. And Stephen, it says in verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. It says in verse 10, But they could not stand up against the wisdom and the spirit, as the spirit gave him as he spoke. Stephen, one of the people that gets chosen to wait on tables, is full of the spirit when he's serving, full of the spirit when he's speaking. I love this about God's wonderful design of the church. That no one gets put in a box. Well, these are the seven who serve tables. And we're the twelve who pray and, and, and do the word. Now, we do the miracle stuff. The people with the tables, you have the apron on and you serve the tables. We don't mix. Stay in your box. No, a person who serves tables full of the Spirit will break out and then great miracles of God's grace will be formed and great wonders and signs among the people. Mm. I love that about God. I love it about him that he doesn't just say, well, here's the man or the woman of God and they do the stuff. Now, you, you do all the other bits. Now, you be who you are. But you get to bring the kingdom. You bring, get to bring the rule of God. You get to do the miraculous. Philip was also one of the chosen. He later on goes off and meets the eunuch and sees him led to Christ. He gets transported from one place to another. Philip, just now you had an apron on you and you're serving tables and now you're woo, all the way over there. Wow, Stephen, you had such revelation about Jesus and the gospel and the good news and no one could stand against your wisdom. And we can read that in his speech in chapter 7. Everything, that the same hallmark of heaven on it. 
whether it's serving the tables or whether it's uh, speaking. I think central to Stephen growing in authority and responsibility was his serving. Something about Stephen, he doesn't say when they said this, resp- this proposal pleased the whole group, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Bacurius, uh, Nigna, um, I can't read this next one because I've, crossed, I've underlined it and I can't read it, <laughs> Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. I love that about Stephen. That he don't, you don't read Stephen quietly with the seven thought, I don't want to do this. This is beneath me. I've got great revelation about Jesus. I've got grace when I speak. Um, I, can, I do perform miracles. Who do they think they are? Can't they find someone else? Maybe the twelve could serve tables and I can get on with the real stuff because I've got a really big speech to do in chapter 7. Doesn't anybody know about chapter 7 where I bring this great revelation? Um, actually, I get stoned and persecution breaks out, but that's... <laughs> I think part of Stephen's wonderful heart was he just said, I want to serve. I want to serve the body. I want to make this work. Nothing is too high for me. I'm not going to put any restrictions. I can do miracles in with Jesus. I can do the things that Jesus said. I can do the signs because I believe. And also I'll serve tables because I'll be like the master who washed feet. Mm. I think something about his heart gave him momentum. And it's not surprising that from this heart of servanthood comes a man who probably gives the most clear preach about what Jesus has achieved anywhere else in maybe the whole book of Acts. Serving the disposition of his heart led to increase and outflow. I just want to finish with this. In verse 7 it says, So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It, it worked. There was something about this very practical problem with an incredible supernatural strategy of provision of godly people who were willing to serve legitimate needs of the Hellenistic Jews that led to a body that was functioning properly that led to relational peace between one another because in any local church there's always needs and there's always gaps And there's always areas, maybe not like this, but there's always things that need honest um, plugging and meeting and need provision. And I'm sure, totally convinced and know that as a local church we have many, many gaps. And there's a moment though when the body starts to function and different parts begin to play their part that the body functions in a way that leads to peace and an increase of the effectiveness of a local church to reach a local community. And that even those who were most hardened against the gospel, the priests who were most convinced that Jesus hadn't come, even they were becoming obedient to the faith. The hardest areas were being reached. So I just want to encourage you, for us, just talk to us as a family, as a local church, that we would just say to you, We can't do what he's called us to without you. And just our longing and our prayer is for everyone to find out who they are in Christ and begin to be stepping into it. But that no one is boxed in. 
And that no one feels, well, I do this, so I can't do the miracle stuff and the, the speaking stuff, the grace stuff. No one's to be boxed in. But as we function together, we'll reach the hardest areas. I'm just going to invite us to stand. I'm just going to finish off by praying. And...